let me tell you a little story. I grew up, uh, you know, barefoot kid in South Carolina, uh, living on a little farm with my parents and relatives close by. Went to college, went off to grad school, lived in California for 25 years, came back to Tennessee, uh, worked working now at, for UT and, and the various other partners that we work with. But uh, we bought, my wife and I bought a little farm uh, about a year and a half ago. Cool. I got a couple of horses, a couple of donkeys, some goats, some chickens, sitting on the back porch, watching them play. That brings me joy. This is the O-Rise Feature Cast, a special edition of Further Together, the O-R-A-U podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, for conversations with O-Rise Research Program participants and their mentors as they talk about their experiences and how they are helping shape the future of science. Welcome to the O-Rise Feature Cast. In this episode of the O-Rise Feature Cast, we talk to Howard Hall, a member of the O-Rise Distinguished Scientist Advisory Board. Dr. Hall is the director of the Institute for Nuclear Security at the University of Tennessee. In this episode, he discusses the trajectory of his career, opportunities for students in nuclear security and other scientific areas, and the joy he gets from watching the animals on the farm he and his wife own. Dr. Hall, welcome to Further Together, the ORU podcast. Thank you. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about who you are. So I'm a faculty member at the University of Tennessee in the Department of Nuclear Engineering. I also direct the campus's campus-wide Institute for Nuclear Security. Uh, part of uh, what I'm interested in is the security of nuclear materials, processes, technology, and so forth, uh, which of course means that there's a great opportunity to work with folks in the Oak Ridge area, including ORISE and ORAL, uh, Y12, ORNL, some of the private industry up here. Uh, so I've, I've been here at the university since 2009. Uh, leading a research group on campus uh, and then doing some work up here in the, the various federal facilities. Before that, I came to UT from Lawrence Livermore National Lab, where I worked the uh, first 20 some odd years of my career in basically nuclear science applications for national or international security. Okay. Wow, very interesting. Talk about some of the research that you're doing, if you don't mind. Sure. To the extent that you can. I know so, we, so we have a pretty large group, so we're, we're pretty diverse. Uh, the problem sets for the issues of nuclear security are pretty diverse and, right. and interdisciplinary. So, um, so we're probably one of the more, maybe chaotic is the right word, but, <laughs> uh, but certainly broad uh, research efforts on, on the campus. Uh, so we're currently working on things like nuclear forensics, trying to better understand where nuclear material comes from. Okay. If you were to find something where it mm -hmm. shouldn't be, you know, can you tell where, where it was produced, uh, what cool. its history has been, uh, how did it get there? Mm -hmm. right. uh, because obviously material outside of regula regulatory control is not a, not a good thing. Mm -hmm. Right, of course. Um, we do some work uh, in conjunction primarily with the Department of Defense, looking at how would you more rapidly find material if it got lost. Mm -hmm. uh, so we do a lot of um, basically search algorithm development. We have a small UAV or drone fleet that we operate uh, for the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. Uh, and so that leads to sort of interesting things. We were one of the first 
groups at the university to deal with uh, UAVs in a fairly serious fashion. So right. we got to be the, the, the bleeding edge, if you will, <laughs> of figu figuring out all the regulatory issues with yeah. UAVs. Right. Um, we do some policy level research. Um, we're interested in not just the technology that of, of assuring nuclear security, but also how do you do it both um, in a public policy or a political standpoint as well. Uh, so we, uh, we also publish an international journal on nuclear security that is largely focused on trying to serve the emerging academic discipline mm -hmm. of nuclear security around the world. Uh, when, you, when you start working in this field, you very quickly realize that the quote-unquote standard journals mm -hmm. that we all publish in as grad students or young scientists are very, very focused and very specialized. Mm -hmm. right. And these sort of broad problems that require an interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary approach are difficult fits for some of those journals. Mm -hmm. And they're particularly difficult for some of our international colleagues. But yet publishing is important. It's important right. for sustaining an academic uh, capability in this area. And so we, about five years ago, established the International Journal of Nuclear Security. It's a collaboration on campus between the my program, the Institute for Nuclear Security, and it's executed by our Department of English. Okay. Oh, okay. So one, one of my favorite slides is the list of everyone who participates in the <laughs> Institute, and everyone always sees the English department. Mm -hmm. What does English have to do with Nuclear, nuclear security. security. Mm -hmm. Well, it's actually a great story. The The English department has a technical writing program mm -hmm. sure. uh, led by a, a wonderful faculty member named Professor Russell Hurst. Uh, Russell got interested in nuclear security because he spent uh, about a semester doing sort of an externship with Y-12. Okay. And so he got exposed to some of these, these topics. And then when we wanted to establish the journal, he said, well, I have this senior level technical writing class, let's try to put the two ideas together. And so what we do, which is fairly unique in the, in the journal community, is we work with folks who's, who generally are not native speakers of English. Mm -hmm. Now, if you've, if you've ever submitted a journal article and your grammar was lacking, normally you'll just get a terse letter back saying, Fix your grammar. Right. <laughs> well, we don't do that because in, in many cases that's a challenge for folks who, mm -hmm. you know, English may be their third or fourth language. Sure. So we actually have the students in that technical writing class serve as our assistant editors. Really? And then they will work one-on-one -on -one with each author or each primary author to get the paper into final publication oh, shape cool. for wow. things like grammar and word choice and so forth. So it's, it's been a wonderful experience. I want to take that class. That's great. <laughs> well, that is come great. on down. <laughs> so it, yeah, it helps That's both. A, it helps absolutely. the students and it helps those who are trying to absolutely. submit their work. And, and some of the students through that experience get interested. Yeah. And Certainly. It, and it turns out that technical writers actually matter in the field as well. Yeah. Certainly. And so we've had some of our, our students who were assistant editors uh, for the journal go on and they're now employed at ORNL or, or places yeah, like that. That's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> but I'd love, I bet that does raise a lot of eyebrows though when mm -hmm. you show that slide. Oh yes. But I love that story. So your team is busy, obviously. There's a lot going on. Um, 
and you're a member of the ORISD SAB. So, Absolutely. <laughs> so talk about that and um, how being on the Distinguished Scientist Advisory Board for ORISD meshes. I mean, it seems like obviously there are there are overlaps between what you do and what ORISD does, but what you bring to the table and what the DSAB does for ORISD. Sure. So. Um uh, I guess the, the genesis of my relationship with the DSAB was that in our institute, ORAU, ORAL, was actually a partner in that okay. institute as well. So I, I knew a lot of the players from the beginning. Uh, my background is radiochemistry, and your guys' environmental uh, verification lab mm -hmm. is a top-notch radiochemistry operation. Uh, and as a radiochemist, I'm acutely aware that my field is, is not producing enough people to mm -hmm. meet the national need. Mm -hmm. I actually sat on a National Academies Committee that did a report on that in 2012. Okay. Uh, and we were projecting at that point the need to produce about 60 PhDs in radiochemistry per year to meet the, the US, just the U.S., not even the international need, just the U.S. need. Uh, and we were producing five or six. Wow. wow. And so I've I've got a special spot in my heart for anyone who's a working radiochemist. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the opportunity to work with the, the verification lab and, and help keep them on a path towards sustainability is something that I, I find extremely valuable. How, if, sorry if, if I can interrupt, how do you, and radiochemists isn't the only sort of scientific discipline where more numbers are needed, particularly oh, in our you know, in scientific fields. How do we fix that? How do we <laughs> how do we get there? So, uh, well, if I could answer that question completely, then uh, you have your I, own. <laughs> I'd probably be a far wealthier man, right? Right. right. Uh, and the country would be in a lot better shape. But, um, but I think uh, part of it. I mean, maybe my story is a little bit of a piece of that because you know I was. I was a relatively successful program leader at Livermore doing mm -hmm. important national security related stuff. And I had the same staffing problem that, that everyone has right now. I mean, we were looking around um, facing, how do, we, how do we hire people to mm -hmm. do these projects? And the short answer was people weren't coming out of graduate school because we were mostly PhDs at, at the Livermore operation. People weren't coming out of graduate school with the right skill sets for what we needed. And so we could bring someone in, but we'd be on a two to four year mm -hmm. training cycle. Wow, that's a to, long time. Well, it, it, there's a lot of stuff to learn. Sure. Um, and so, uh, Oren L in the university had made a run at me a couple of times, tried to get me to come to Tennessee. I kept telling them no. Uh, and finally it, it occurred, I think to them and to me that if I came to Tennessee and they gave me the sort of enough rope to hang myself in building this program, that we could start to take a bite out of that problem. Mm -hmm. And so we have, we've built a very, very uh, successful group uh, that has produced a lot of folks who are now working inside the various components of the, the, the US national security, nuclear security type enterprise. And so from that, you know, what lessons did we draw? One, we had to have support mm -hmm. of the university. That was absolutely critical. The university has been very generous in allowing me to uh, 
push them outside their comfort zone in certain areas. Uh, partnerships with folks here in the what we call the practitioner core, ORNL, Y12, ORAL. We have a partnership now with Centris as well. Um, are very critical because the students learn. I'm a, I'm a big fan of experiential learning. Mm -hmm. The students learn by getting their their. I hate to say hands are dirty in radio <laughs> chemistry, but, but by getting by right. getting out in the real world and yeah. seeing what the real world problems sure. are. And when they see what the real world problems are and how their work contributes, they get excited. Students, you know, they they want to do something important. Mm -hmm. Right. They want their contribution to matter, matter yeah. and they can see that in this field so that's that's been very beneficial um, and of course then you need someone like me who's willing to say yeah I'm gonna set aside my national laboratory career and come into academics right um, now I had a very good role model in that regard and so there's a, sort of a mentoring piece here as well which is an important overall definitely uh, <laughs> core competency. My graduate degree from Berkeley was the first degree granted by Professor Darlene Hoffman, uh, who came to Berkeley to replace Professor Glenn Seaborg, the Nobel laureate, the gentleman who discovered plutonium, right. giant in the field. And she followed the same sort of path that I followed. She worked at Los Alamos for the first 20 or 30 years of her career, uh, becoming the first Division female division leader in the lab in that lab's history. Mm -hmm. uh, she also got the National Medal of Science along the way from Bill Clinton, um, and then she made the jump into academia because she saw that opportunity to sustain the field. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I had a great role model from that standpoint that just said, you know, this this can work. Mm -hmm. This can work. Also, you know, we were. Particularly when we, we started this, that was just at the very beginning of the Obama administration's efforts in nuclear material security. And if you look around at where we're vulnerable, we're most vulnerable to a terrorist producing a device out of enriched uranium. Sure. Well, this is the world's brain center for uranium science. Mm -hmm. And so it was an opportunity to come where the actual action was. So it's it's been you know, just a wonderful confluence of events. Makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. um, so on the on the DSAB, there's obviously lots of crossover. You've talked about the the mentoring as a mm -hmm. skill set of of ORISE, um, and just some of the other work that ORISE does. What's important to you? Is it all important to you? Is is there something that? So prob probably from the. Um, now, I don't. I don't want to pick favorite children sure, among, among the ORI's uh, the family, but uh, my work at Livermore also included a lot of interactions with REACTS mm -hmm. through the uh, Nuclear Emergency Response Program. So REACTS is a very important program. I'm very. It was one of the few I was actually fairly familiar with when I when I first got here. Okay. Um, the verification program, being radiochemist, mm -hmm. the biodosimetry work. From a, again, from an emergency response standpoint, I'm I'm very interested in, and then yeah, the my interest in trying to build that next generation lines up beautifully with what the institute is trying to do 
in terms of science education, mm -hmm. internships, and uh, you know, sort of making sure that we get people into the field and set them on a path to success. Um, peer review is interesting. It's just it's not really my thing. Mm -hmm. Sure. But uh, but those you know those components I've spoken about those are those are really important overlaps for me. Absolutely, they definitely interact, overlap with your career and with your fields of both study and research. Mm -hmm. So um, that's exciting. It is exciting. Um, and Oral was always one of the more difficult to understand organizations. And now that I've been on the DSAC, <laughs> I understand it a lot better. Being into your head a yes. little bit more. <laughs> That's part of the reason we actually started this podcast yeah. was to help people understand because we do so much. All oh, yes. facets of it. all over the place. Yep. You know, we're not just one thing. You can't really do a 30 second Promo elevator clip. speech yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that says, here's what we do. Um, so we have to talk to the people who are part of the family in some way. Certainly. You're definitely an important part of the family as a member of the DSAB. Mm -hmm. um, this will totally be a softball question, I'm sure, but um, it, it sounds like from, from what I'm hearing, the ORISE vision is headed in the right direction given the scientific needs of the country and, and DOE and you so know, I, I, I think so. I mean, I think I, I'm hesitant to speak for my fellow colleagues on, on the DSAB, uh, but we've certainly had a lot of input into the shaping of that vision. We've mm -hmm. seen the organization respond to our input, uh, and I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that if you're listening to me, that at least I'm making an impact of some <laughs> sort. Um, you know, we'll have to talk about your colleague here with the University of Kentucky uh, <laughs> lanyard on, particularly with this coming week's football game. But, right. uh, but, uh, but no, I, I think the organization is definitely on a on a good trajectory. Um, you know, the constraints that you have under your prime contract are sometimes difficult for me to to fully understand or appreciate. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that you're. You know, everything that I've seen in terms of metrics, in terms of feedback from your your federal sponsors is that the organization's going upward and it's observed to be going upward, which is equally important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Fantastic. Is there anything about the DSAB that I haven't asked that you would like to say? Anything about ORISE or you or... Well, um, I... I know we could go in a million directions. The, uh, the, one of the things that's fun about the DSAB is because ORISE is so broad and diverse. Yes. I've got to meet a lot of folks mm -hmm. on the DSAB who are well outside my own right. little technical niche. And so that's been a very nice uh, sort of building my network opportunity as well. So Excellent. Um, one more question for you, and it's totally not related to anything. Dr. Hall, what brings you joy? What brings me joy? Well, let me tell you a little story. I grew up, uh, you know, barefoot kid in South Carolina, uh, living on a little farm with my parents and relatives close by. Went to college, went off to grad school, lived in California for 25 years, came back to Tennessee, uh, worked working now at, for UT and, and the various other partners that we work with. But uh, we bought, my wife and I bought a little farm 
uh, <laughs> about a year and a half ago. Cool. I got a couple of horses, a couple of donkeys, some goats, some chickens, sitting on the back porch, watching them play. That mm -hmm. brings me joy. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, You're quite you. welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for listening to the O-Rise Feature Cast. To learn more about the Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education, visit orise.orau.gov or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Connect.